Let's talk about homelessness. Let's talk about people living on the streets. Let's talk about the person you see lying on the bench. Let's talk about people carrying all their possessions on their backs. Let's talk about how to reduce suffering in our communities. Let's talk about people in our communities that don't have shelter and food. Let's talk about loving our neighbors. I'm Cindy Stevenson with Enid Street Outreach Services, and we have a resource center in Enid, Oklahoma, and we serve the people that are live in poverty and that are homeless. We help them file for Medicaid expansion, which is a it's called Sooner Care from, and it covers people from 19 to 64 covers their medical expenses and prescriptions. We also help people file for food stamps. We're a third-party filer for Social Security. We also have a clothing room and a food pantry. We collect data for our county so that we can get funding for grants We just opened, well, our nonprofit just started in November. We just opened our doors in July. Um, We we only open on Tuesdays from 12 to 4 because we are a small community. Um, No one's paid, so it's all volunteers. And so we don't have enough volunteers to open five days a week, or we would be. Uh, We've received several uh, grants from people in the community. We received a a SBA grant for our church, which helps um, our church helps fund some of the programs we have. We have a hydration program, which we take Gatorade and water to the parks to where uh, the homeless hang out. And mostly it's in a one-mile radius, like parks, uh, the library. We have a day shelter where about five or ten people hang out. And the day shelter, you can work for a couple hours to get ID. They'll help you get your ID. They'll give you gas money if you have a car. Uh, You can work. They have a thrift stop, thrift store, so you can work a couple hours and get your utility bills paid. Well, it depends on how, how um, high your utility bills are, but you can get um, water and a sandwich there, some hygiene stuff. So those are the places we usually find the homeless when we're um, out driving around. 
uh, doing street outreach. Um, the most famous place, though, is the park. Uh, we go there, and there are about, I would say, 10 to 15 people at a time. They're gathered under one specific pavilion, and they, I don't know, they trade stuff with each other. Uh, if one has food and the other don't, they trade food or supplies or bike tubes, air pumps, tools, whatever. They kind of trade amongst each other. And um, we are about oh, a half a block from that uh, place. We're about a half a block from the park. So we are able uh, to get some of them. We can just kind of point, hey, there's where we are. We're at this um we're at this uh, church over here on the hill, um, and they seem to be able to figure it out and come over. And we will feed them a meal on Tuesdays if they're hungry, uh, give them some hydration, um, fellowship. They can watch a movie and stay out of the heat at our place. We also have some tasks that they can do around there. We have a clothing room, and some, some of them like to work in there and straighten up the clothes and stuff. Um, we have found that when they find their community and find a safe place, they can take a nap or just kind of unwind. Um, we have a lot that are interested in like magazines. So we have a lot of magazines laying around. We have a, a little library probably with about 40 books. So sometimes they'll just take a book and sit in a chair and read it. We do have a cot or two that if somebody comes in and they're real tired, um, we just open up the cot and put a sleeping bag on it and they are able to lay down and um, just rest in a safe, secure environment. Um, this week we had about seven people come in. Three or four of them were for medical um applications for med the Medicaid expansion. So we do an intake, we find out what their needs are, and then we they can get food stamps or medical or help file for secure, Social Security. So if we do an intake and say, you know, they have some medical issues, we um, send them over to the Medicaid expansion person and then uh, possibly to the... Um, food stamp worker. So we are in Oklahoma and we're called Enid Street Outreach Services. And we have uh, between 50 to 100 homeless here in Enid. And I welcome any kind of discussion on um, the homeless, how we can do better. People experiencing homelessness have you know, there's just so many complications. You never know how somebody has ended up homeless. It could be that they're rejected from their family because they're LGBTQ, or they could be addicted, or they could have PTSD. Um, but there's just so many ways that people end up homeless. It's not just drugs and substance abuse. There's domestic violence. There's um, LGBT, they could be rejected from their family. 
Um, substance abuse is one of the ways. Student debt. We've had a couple of people that have became homeless because of their high student debt loans. Um, I would beg for anybody to um, talk to me about uh, the homeless situation in your town or in your city or even in your state. Um, There's been a lot of discussion in our county about the homeless population and what we can do to get them in affordable housing. We have built a couple of affordable housing projects. Uh, we have help uh, because of COVID. We have, we, they can do an application, a housing application, and we can get them approved for three months free rental. And then they'll have to cover the, in, the rent after that. But it really helps get people off the streets. Um, we just see so many people that are homeless and they're in the park, um, they're at the library. Um, we have a place uh, Monday through Friday called Our Daily Bread. It's ran by the Catholics, and they serve two to 300 meals a day, Monday through Friday. And they see people that are seniors, that they don't have enough food stamps to last throughout the month. They see homeless, they see middle class, Uh, They see a lot of people that are struggling. So anyone that uh, needs help deserves to find a happy place in their life and a better quality of life. And I think if we all work together to try to make a better life, an equal life um, for, you know, more wages, the low wages that we have here in our city, Even if you work 40 hours a week, you can't afford an apartment um, on those wages. So we see people that are, they they can only pay for their apartment. They don't have money for food. They don't have money for uh, toilet paper, paper plates, toothpaste, the things that you can't get with food stamps. So at our resource center, we provide that stuff. We have uh, toothpaste. Um, cough drops, medical supplies. We just have a lot of um, things at our resource center that we can help people uh, that are in need. It is ran in the basement of a church, and we just started in July. So we have seen probably about 40 or 50 people since July 27th, either helping them apply for food stamps or Social Security or Medicaid expansion. And anybody in the group have any questions? Just uh, raise your hand, and I can put you on the video or on the uh, in the room. I just think that you know um, we need to be aware of the people that are in the margins. You know, um, I'm reminded about the Good Samaritan story, you know, where um, people were walking down the road to Jericho and there was a couple of priests that walked right by the man that needed help. And the Good Samaritan was the only one that stopped. You know, we, we all face times in our life where we have ups and downs, but who, who stops to help us? 
is what maintains what what is thought in our in our mind you know those people our mentors or people that stop and help us in our life those are the ones that we remember and i want to be one of those people you know i don't want to enable people to continue to live a life um but i do think that everyone deserves housing I think that everyone deserves a a stable home to live in. I think that people that are on the streets, veterans that are on the streets because of PTSD, they somebody needs to help them get off of the streets and live in a home where they can feel secure and safe. You know, lately we have talked about people that are homeless that have pets. We were handing out um, sandwiches one time in, in the park, and the guy tore his sandwich in half and gave half of it to his dog because his dog was hungry. You know, they sacrifice themselves for their pets sometimes because that's the only loyal and non judgmental friend they have. We see it every day in our town. Um, I have this one person that uh, her name's Kim and she has a dog named Twister. Uh, He was a puppy when I first met them. And that is her loyal companion. It goes everywhere with her. Um, He's her warmth. He is her, her companion. He's there to love her and befriend her. And at our resource center, we supply dog food and leashes and stuff like that because we know somebody that has a pet is healthier and happier, and they're more approachable. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about seeing somebody homeless on the street? They're walking down the road with their backpack on and maybe carrying a sack or two. And you just turn away. You turn your eyes away because you don't think they're approachable. But now think about that person with the same backpack on that has a friendly dog um, that's walking on a leash. They're more dependent. They're more, you can think of them as non-threatening. And a lot of people have their pets with them and they can't go to a shelter. A shelter, most of the shelters are restricted because of the health department that they can't have pets in. So they're, they're, they're told, tie your pet up outside on this pole and you can get your pet in the morning. Well, nobody that loves their pet is going to tie their pet outside on a pole. So they choose not to go in the shelter. So what do they, I mean, they love their animal. And that's sometimes routine for them is when pets need food and water, that's their routine. You know, they go out looking for food or they might panhandle for food for their dog or for them so that they can feed their dog. I just, you know, homelessness is a big, is complicated. That's for sure. Um, On Anchor, we have a podcast that's uh, being homeless is complicated. So if you ever get a chance to look at our podcast and listen to our podcast, it talks about from where we started uh, just handing out clothes and backpacks and shoes and socks to now we are a nonprofit and we are helping people with resources so that they could have a better quality of life. 
Now, there are some that like where they're living. Uh, they choose not to be in community. Um, I don't know that they like it, but that's the life they know. Um, so, you know, we don't push them to come to our resource center, but we do still help them. When we have our hydration program, we take water and Gatorade to everyone. We don't just pick out the ones that seem friendly. We take it to everyone. We have cases and cases of Gatorade that are cold and we hand them out um, to people on the street. And we ask them, do you need anything else? We have a resource center if you need to, if you need food stamps. And that's one thing we've seen. We've probably signed up 40 people in the last, I would say, six weeks for food stamps. And we've seen some changes. You know, when you can eat when you want to, you can go to the grocery store and get you something to eat. You're a different person than waiting in the line at the soup kitchen. And you can eat better. Uh, we've seen the people, uh, we were just at the park the other day, and this guy had orange juice and milk and a sandwich. And he stopped us and he said, oh, you're the ones that helped me um, file for food stamp. Thank you so much because now I can get milk. He said, you don't understand at the shelter, you don't get milk and orange juice. You might get a sandwich or you might get some macaroni and, you know, some ham, but you never get uh, milk. And he said, really, thank you a lot because now I feel healthier. I feel like, you know, I'm empowered that I can eat when I want to and eat what I want to. So I guess that that means a lot to somebody to have um, a choice. And I can sure understand that. Um, there are many times when we've seen people on the on a bench, sitting at a park, asleep, wrapped in a, a blanket. And um, we don't disturb them. If they can sleep during the day and be up at night, it's safer for them. We just, in the last probably, let's see, May, May we had uh, a guy die. His name was... Um, Mike, and he died. He was in an abandoned house, and we were looking for him for about a week because we know a lot of them by name, and we would ask, you know, has Mike been around? Have you seen Mike? And nobody had. Well, he had been in an abandoned house, and he had died and been there for seven days. So, and we didn't have an emergency contact. We didn't know who his people were. So we we had a funeral uh, we did finally find somebody that, uh, his brother, that kind of told us who his family members were and stuff. And then a month after that, we had a lady, Claudia, that had been a longtime alcoholic that had been in and out of homelessness. Um, but she, she, she had a big heart. I mean, she was always smiling and hugging people and, and letting people know that they were loved. And she would always, like, give the women uh, her secrets. Like, you know, don't mess with that guy because he's this. Or don't mess with that person because they're that. She would always be um, a woman protector. And she died. Her She got sick, and they took her to the hospital, and her, her organs started failing. 
she was given last rites by our minister. But man, we miss her. We miss her smiling face. She was Native American. We did end up finding her family. Her do- her daughters hadn't seen her in years. And um, our pastor got to go meet all of her family and see pictures of her, you know, years ago before she was addicted to alcohol and meet her children and stuff. And, you know, it was just a blessing to get to know that part of her. Um, she, she passed away and um, her family had gifted the church a, a native American blanket so that we can have it up in our church with a picture of her in remembrance of, you know, the times we spent with her. And then just about two or three weeks ago, we had a guy named Stephen. Him and his buddy um, got in a fight, and he was stabbed two times. And they didn't think he was going to make it. I mean, when they say there's violence on the street to the homeless, there is violence on the street. I promise you. Um, Anyway, he was flown by helicopter to a town about 100 miles from here, Oklahoma City. And he just got out last week. He made it. He was in critical care for a while, but he made it. And he's back um, in Enid. Uh, I just, I had somebody call me and say they've seen him, but I haven't, I haven't actually talked to him yet. But he had just come to church the Sunday before that. And we were giving out uh, T-shirts at the church that say Enid Faithways, which is our church name. And Stephen came up to me and he said, I hope you still have one in my, my size. I just feel like, you know, you all are doing such a, a good job here helping people that I want to represent you. And um, we did have one in his um, size and he got to wear it. So I'm hoping that he is blessed to have um, a, a good long life because um, he's, he's just a, uh, a man with uh, a lot of stories, let's just say it that way. He he likes to talk and tell a lot of stories about, you know, his childhood and things that have happened to him and stuff. And um, one guy we have um, that comes to the resource center, he's been on and off homeless for 30 years. So can you imagine, you know, 30 years ago, this young fella, he's probably in his 30s, then becoming homeless and now today he's 64 and he's homeless again off and on he's been homeless and he lives outside and on a sleeping bag he carries the only possessions he has um and he's 64 years old um we are trying to get him uh, his social security early so that he can have some money but he he's he he drinks and he has a substance abuse problem, but we have noticed since the that since he's gotten food stamps and he's got a community to come and talk to, um, that he oh, I forgot to say that we have a washer and dryer at our resource center, so he has clean clothes every week, and we seen him the other day and he was standing in front of the mirror and he was brushing his beard, brushing his hair, just feeling really proud of himself just getting some fresh clothes and be able to wash your face and, you know, wash your underarms and stuff has given him just pride in himself. 
and he's one that um, will buy uh, food for himself. He doesn't have to walk two or three miles to the soup kitchen to go get food now. He's able to um, go into the grocery store, which is the closest to him, probably about a half a block, and he can um, get what he wants. It empowers him to buy what he wants and when he wants. Um, And I don't know if you all know about what's happening since the pandemic with food stamps and stuff and social security and medical, it's all online. And if you don't understand how to get online, you don't understand computers, there's no way you have access to it. So that's what our resource center does. We have somebody there specifically that has been trained in food stamps and medical apps that, and none of us are paid, that we, um, they specifically are there for that purpose, to help people get the benefits they deserve. Um, Three goals that we have is access to benefits, receipt of benefits, and reduction of homelessness in our community. Uh, It's not easy work, I promise you. Um, We are only open one day a week from 12 to 4, but we work probably 25 hours a week on just the applications that we get in that four hours. You know, we could have 10 applications a day. And so we sort um, who needs it the most. We kind of kind of a triage so if somebody comes in and they're on the streets, they're going to be, uh, they're going to get their food stamps before somebody that's in a house that's, uh, you know, already has access to food and stuff. So it's, it's hard work. It's humbling work. If you've never worked with the hum- homeless, you sure get an eye opening of people at their lowest point. It's really, you know, sometimes it's a burden because you worry about these people. Uh, They come in and and they tell you their story, and then you go home to a house where you have access to food, you have access to TV, you have access to news. Well, during the pandemic, when everything shut down, the library shut down. They had no place to go. The um, day center shut down. They had no place to go. And we only have one shelter that was open, and that was the Salvation Army. And they do what they call sober living. So before you, when you walk in the door, they do a drug test and a breathalyzer. And if you can't pass them, you can't stay. So we had probably about 40 or 50 people on the street. Now, I don't know if you remember during the pandemic, but... Where do you use the bathroom if you can't go anywhere? Well, you use it where you can. So we, uh, several, me and several other pay- people, we um, got on our phone and started talking to the city commissioner saying, we've got to have uh, some portable toilets downtown where the homeless hang out. They have no place to use the bathroom. We've got to get some way for them to wash their hands so that they don't spread covid between each other and it took about a week or two with a lot of pressure. I mean, we had a big, we had a big list of things that we wanted. We wanted them to open a park 
where tents, we could have tents where people could drop off stuff and stuff like that. But the city mayor said no way was he going to have a tent city in Enid. So they didn't uh, approve our plan, but they did uh, give us a crumb, which was two two, um, bathrooms and uh, a washing hand station. Hi, Scotty. Or Scotty. Hi, Cynthia. Um, thanks, thanks for your great work in general. Um, truly, truly impressive stuff and work that needs to be. Well, thank you. Um, um, yeah, I just I just wanted to pop up here and read some of my comments. So you can respond to all or none. Sure. Um, I'll just I'll just read them out. I've been making these little comments over the last eleven, twelve minutes. Are you there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Did, I cut out? did you say you had some comments? Oh, yes, yes. Um, and I, I just wanted to ask real quick, where, where are you located? Um, I'm in Enid, Oklahoma. It's about 70, Oklahoma, yeah, okay. 75 miles from uh, Oklahoma City, our capital. Okay, cool. Um, anyway, here's, here's the comments. I heard in a psychology lecture that there is a certain type of narcissist who gets narcissistic supply from how far they can remove themselves from society. These are the homeless who don't want help. I'd imagine they are the minority, but they are no doubt out there. And then on the food thing, I said food makes you feel more able to do productive stuff. The heartbreaking thing about the man who was 30 years off and on, you hate to see that. And um, you said you were a mm-hmm. member of a church. I asked, do you believe in reincarnation, judgment day, both? Yes. Because often I think, you know, what, like what, what lies in the next life for, you know, someone who's like living the homeless life. Um, I also said sleeping at the library is ridiculous. Mm. That's just my opinion. I just think it's bad for the kids when people sleep at the library. Um, And thoughts on the homeless camps in Seattle. So those were those were my comments. Thanks, thanks for the great uh, great talk on this. This is you know something uh, that definitely touched me, and we all need to remember. So keep up the great. Um, all right. Um, on reincarnation or judgment, hmm. I I tend to believe uh, that um, we never really die. We just keep like the cycle of life. We just keep going. Um, our spirit, our, I, I don't particularly believe in hell. So I believe that God loves me and God and Christ is in everyone. Whether or not you recognize it, that's, that's, on, that's on you. But I see Christ in the people that I serve. I look in their eyes and I see Christ in them. And that's how I can do this job. Because I see Christ in them. I see the goodness in them. They might not see it for themselves, but I see it. And yeah, there are people that sleep at the library. But if you can't sleep because of all the noises and the violence in the street, 
maybe that's the only safe place you can. And they're not laying down, they're sitting up and they might be actually having a book in their hand or something like that. I'm not sure about the homeless camps in Seattle. What I can talk mostly about is Austin and um, because I follow the mayor there and I know that they had um, passed where they could do open camp. And now uh, just last week or so they are giving tickets. Now they have no public camping. So now after all the people are in the streets, now they're saying we're not doing open camp anymore. And if you are homeless and on the street, you can be fined $500. So you're not going to get people off the streets by doing that. Um, I do think they have some good programs in Austin um, about having rehabs and getting people into, they have some good street outreach there. Uh, we don't have that big of population. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of homeless in Austin. We don't have that big population here in Enid, but I do see that if they start shutting down the camps and um, doing sweeps, that they will probably come uh, towards Oklahoma. They'll probably venture out of, of Austin and Texas and move towards uh, states that will let them camp. Uh, we don't have open camping in Enid per se, but we do have we do have people that sit outside um, and sleep outside. Um, but they are not like public. I mean, they're in like a wooded area, or uh, we have kind of a tent city that people don't really know about. Unless you're unless you're homeless or you're an outreach worker, we have kind of a tent city that's um, down by a, a a lake. So um, I I really I really do think that um, it it is heartbreaking to see this kind of stuff. Um, let's see, was there anything? Was there somebody else that wanted to talk? I seen somebody. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure these boys will will, will want to talk. Um, <laughs> somebody lifted yeah. their hand, but raise it again, Cynthia. <laughs> Cynthia will approve you. Um, yeah. But I I wanted to make a comment on one of the things that you said, um, which was seeing the the kind of spark in the infinite the spark of the infinite in, mm. in, in everyone you meet, um, particularly in, in the downtrodden. I absolutely um, mm. agree with you that that is, that, 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 that is there, you know, and it's, and it's an admirable um, and really worthwhile thing for me to work on is kind of being in that, in that, that mental space to appreciate life. You know, because if you if you can look at if you can look at another person, no mm. matter how troubled and kind of see the fact that like. There's that little like precious piece of space that animates them that we all share and that like unites us all 
It's, I mean, I, I found that idea really yeah. grounding, Cynthia, and I'd imagine this work is really grounding. What Hello. Brian? Hello. Yeah, I don't want to interrupt the conversation on my behalf, guys. I mean, continue <laughs> on. No, no, go ahead. <clears throat> no, I, I just asked to speak because I'm interested in this subject, but... Topic at hand, other than the obvious. Just, uh, just ask Cynthia so, something, and she'll, she'll, she'll spit it back at. <clears throat> yeah, there you go. Well, Cynthia, who are you? What do you do? Uh, I, I work. Uh, we have a nonprofit. It's called Enid Street Outreach Services. And we started, we were doing the work um, about three, well, we've been doing the work for about three years, but we just started the nonprofit in November. And it mostly became more work because of the pandemic. Um, So in March or April of last year, when everything in our town shut down, our services shut down too. So you couldn't walk into the DHS office. You couldn't go to the library. All the places they hung out, they couldn't go. So they weren't getting the news of what the pandemic was about. They weren't getting the news on how to get vaccinated or anything. So uh, we kind of just stepped up and was the middleman and all that. And we became a nonprofit. And now we have a resource center. That's really cool. You're talking about Enid, Oklahoma? Yes. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Okay. Yeah, I'm in Texas, so I'm not, like, super familiar with Oklahoma, but ah. oh, I'm a little familiar. That's really cool, though. I uh, I don't... What part of Texas are you from? Fort Worth. Oh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I laughed too. I laughed too at that, Brian. <laughs> what does that mean, Cynthia? <laughs> she hit you with the, uh, okay, no, Brian. Interesting. Cool shit, yeah. I just, he's vetted, I, just know, he's I just know. I just know a lot more about Austin. I don't know. I've been to Fort Worth a couple of times. Down to the where you get a good steak. Down to the well. Billy well, let's Bob, ask Brian about Fort Worth if we don't know about Fort Worth. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. I mean, Tell us about Fort Worth and the homeless there. Sure, sure. So <clears throat> we're not we're not a big city. We're usually lumped in with Dallas, right? DFW is usually how it's referred to on the national, I guess, scale. But uh yeah, you know, Fort Worth is a little bit different than probably what you're talking about. Uh politically speaking, it's uh pretty red, right? As compared to Dallas or Austin especially. Um Definitely, definitely a lot of homeless here, but uh, I, I mean, I could, I could tell you the ins and outs of Fort Worth and it, it would probably be pretty uninteresting because not a whole lot going on, but I, I, I wanted to come back to something you said about the pandemic and how you guys as a nonprofit kind of, I guess, you know, you, you have your center now, so you're pulling together resources and stuff. I, I assume during the, the mm-hmm. cor- throughout the course of the pandemic that they had the uh, at least like some sort of, I guess, stay on rent and people didn't have to make their rent payments for quite some time now. It, was that not like something that happened from the start of it? I'm, I'm curious now. I'm not educated on it. Uh, yes. Now, if you had housing... That's that's certainly right. They did do a, a moratorium on rent. Right. 
So you, you couldn't be evicted. Right. But right. Uh, the people I'm talking about were either on their way to the streets already or in the streets. I see. I see. I mean, okay, okay. I was worried for a minute that there was a, a, a massive increase in the homeless population because of COVID. And I'm sure there, you know, there are plenty of cases of people who, you know, lost work, weren't able to provide for themselves and, you know, whatever. But I don't know. Well, I think I think here we get an influx because we're in Oklahoma, you know, and our weather is kind of stable all, all year long. We get an influx in the spring. So we already had people coming this way from the east and the west that kind of hang out in Oklahoma during you know, the cold months because we're not so cold here. And quote so, unquote cold. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> same here. Same here. Yeah. Cold months. For I mean, sure. we, we just, we, we hardly ever dip below 40. So, I mean, we did this year. Wow. We hardly ever dip before, you know, even, even in the, we, we hardly get snow. So we get the population from the East and West coast. Um, so we get an influx anyway in the springtime. And, but we got an influx during the pandemic, like 30 more homeless than we have ever seen. Um, and I don't wow. know exactly where they're coming from. I don't, you know, they, they don't often say, oh, I'm, I was in Arizona or whatever. I mean, they kind of just give you a little bit of their background They're Unless they trust you, sure. they're not going to really tell you a lot about where they're oh, from or whatever. So. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I got a warrant in several states. <laughs> exactly. But, um, exactly. Uh, yeah. But uh, the, uh, before you popped up here, Brian, what, what she, what she was kind of talking about was um, like the state of perpetual homelessness for some people. And I, I find that particularly um, interesting. It's a never ending you know. feedback loop. It really is. How so? I mean, I, I can't speak from experience per se myself, but I mean, from what I've seen, you know, it's 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 difficult to climb yourself out of that hole because it's growing with or without your participation. Right. Like ah. if you're already homeless, how how difficult is it for you to find a job? If you don't have clothes for a job interview, if you don't have a phone to you know receive a call back, if you don't have a place of residence and address you know to file, it's it's nearly impossible. And I know it's different from state to state. Some states are better than others. You know, I live in Texas, and I'm sure you guys are pretty familiar with our uh, our political uh, affiliation here in Texas. It hasn't been great. And I'm willing to bet that Oklahoma isn't too far off. It may not be as bad, but Oklahoma is probably, probably pretty, uh, pretty close to what Texas is dealing with, at least, you know, at the, at the governor level. And, you know, uh, so yeah, it, it's difficult to break out of, but it is. I would, I would like to, go ahead. I'd like to speak about that just for a Please. second. Um, we are the a red state and we are Bible belt. There's probably, and we have about 60,000 people here in our town and we probably have a hundred churches. So yeah. to me there, if you have a hundred churches in your town, there shouldn't be one homeless person. <laughs> if you're really following Jesus and the gospel, there should not be one person in the street because he talks about over and over the poor, the downtrodden, those kind of things. 
And we, I, I, I see Oklahoma as the buckle of the Bible of the belt. <laughs> we are right there in the middle That's of it. Fair. Now yeah. I am uh, a Democrat and I am gay and I'm a Christian. So you take those three things and put them in the middle of a red state in the Bible belt. It, it doesn't all, it doesn't always appear to be what it is. You know, it's, it's, there's few and far between. We fight against people saying to the homeless, just go get a job. But you're right, Brian. How do you get a job if you don't have ID or you don't have a phone for callbacks or you don't have an outfit to wear? No, I that's mean, super tough. And and before you before you, you know, acknowledge the fact that you're a Christian, you said that, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to turn this into a religious conversation, but the hypocrisy of, uh, you know, not helping those who are a little less fortunate than yourselves is uh, pretty astounding. Especially, I mean, uh, again, I don't live in Oklahoma, but Texas, you know, extremely religious. Especially the further you get outside of the big, bigger okay. cities, right? And uh, yeah, the homelessness you know extends just beyond the bigger cities. It's uh, it's pretty tough. Well, and uh, I mean. I asked. I asked Cynthia earlier. I wonder uh, you might might not have been here for that. Her thoughts on um, re- reincarnation or Judgment Day, and she seems to uh, just to put put your words into my mouth, Cynthia. You know, uh, believe in a kind of cycle of life. Um, uh, and I don't know, Cynthia. Hearing you talk about these things, your uh, spiritualism and religiosity is more in the line of like an ancient mystic than a Bible Belt. Christian, although a Christian really should be mystical, like that's that's a that's a whole other bag of beans. Yeah, you um, don't you don't seem to fit the that, stereotypical Christian, at least as we know it. Well, and I, I, I don't. Right. I don't. I also, and we, I also just want to honor you for living church. your truth. We have a lot of feedback at our church here because we are open and affirming to LGBT people. We have homeless in our church every Sunday morning. And we tell people, if you want to come to a church where you're going to, you might sit next to a sexual offender, you might sit next to a homeless man or a gay woman, then come and be part of uh, the community. I mean, we, we feel like everyone should be able to come to the table. Everyone. What's kind of crazy to me, and again, speaking to my perspective from Texas, is uh, obviously super religious, extremely Christian. Um, (laughs) It seems our true religion is uh, an economic one rather than a spiritual one. And so I've seen personally over, you know, I'm only 28 now, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, extremely experienced, but over the course of like the last 10 to 15 years, I've seen churches become more accepting to the LGBT community, which is great, but more so them than homeless because they're not taxpaying citizens that are contributing to society. Whether or not it's their fault is one thing or another, but it's uh, it's kind of wild to me. I mean, everyone should be accepted, I think. Obviously, most people here would agree, but it's it's kind of crazy to see that uh, people who, you know, previously in rural counties here in Texas, you know, if you're gay, you know, that's obviously a sin and you're rejecting God and you're not a true Christian. That has uh, 
that has almost been usurped at this point. And people now in, in Texas are more willing to accept members of the LGBT community over people who are homeless, <laughs> you know, which is just a wild thing to say in all honesty. But it's kind of a trend I've seen. I'm not sure what it's like in Oklahoma. Uh, well, I think here they would probably, they probably would rather have a homeless in in their congregation than lgbtq that's interesting <laughs> oh cynthia like there's there's some like paid behind behind there so i just well, again you know, again i just want to honor your whole experience on this planet in this current form as cynthia you are on- i just thank you yeah i, I just want to say that Joel Austin would rather have a rich gay person in his congregation than a homeless man. That's all I have to say. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, here, <laughs> it's, it's you know, it's the people in the margins. It's the people in the margins. You know, it's the LGBT, the um, people of color, the homeless, uh, the veteran that's fighting PTSD, Anybody who's been hurt is in the margins. Anyone who, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. life is pain, Cynthia. Yeah. If if you're, <laughs> I, I mean, I could go into a lot of discussion about church, but I want to try to keep it on homeless. So same, but, same. <laughs> it's, it's a it's, uh, less than fruitful conversation, but yeah. Well, yeah, it, it weaves yeah. in and out because it's a spiritual mission that 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 we would take care, right? Like. Exactly. exactly. It should be. It, it should be. Yeah. I mean, if we really want to, I'll, I'll just say this as a last thing about church. Um, homosexuality is mentioned maybe eight or 10 times in the Bible. And if you take poverty and taking care of the poor, it's mentioned like 2000 times. So, yeah. so what, are we yeah, supposed fair to, point. what are we supposed to do? You know, uh, it, I think the two commandments in uh, the New Testament is, uh, love your love God and love your neighbor. And uh, we have churches that, like you said, Brian, that are that are more out to have an offering, what you can put in the plate, than than helping the poor, the widows, the orphans. It's about how big they can make their uh, sanctuary, not not how big uh, they can help unify our towns and make things. Equal, like like the fifteen dollar wage. Let's just say, I mean, we have uh, Republicans here saying, you know, no, we don't need a raise. We have churches saying, no, we don't need, no, no, yes, we do. We have people that can't pay their rent. They're living in the street because they can't pay their rent. So, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think you know about what what it is like if you're living. I don't. Uh, you're in the at risk, at risk of making a not my president joke. I mean, if you're going to tell me love thy neighbor and I own a home, homeless people are not my neighbor. <laughs> I hear that a lot here. I hear that quite a bit. Uh, it's tough, but yeah. Oh, that's a battle sentence. It is. I, I, I mean, I'd be lying if I told you I haven't heard that before. You know, it's a thing. I'm that's almost said. shocked. I'm almost wow. shocked. You shouldn't be. You really shouldn't be. It's, it's tough. But I, I do want to ask a question. So, Cynthia, you work with homeless people, right? I mean, I'm yes. not asking you for, you know, 
a, a statistical analysis or anything, but like, what would you say is the most common background that a lot of the homeless people that you come into contact with, you know, share? What are some commonalities? Uh, mental illness. And I, you know, I don't, it's kind of a nature versus nurture. Did they have it before they became homeless or did they uh, encounter mental illness during their homeless, you know, being up at night, not, not being secure, not sleeping, not getting good food. Uh, homeless, uh, mental illness is what we see most. And then the second thing would be chronic drug and alcohol use. The third thing would be domestic violence, I think. Uh, and the fourth thing would be veterans with PTSD. Yeah, that's unfortunate. How many, I mean, I mean, again, I'm not asking for statistics or anything because I'm, I, I don't Let's get expect some you statistics, to, Cynthia. I uh, want this. I don't, I don't, I don't expect you to have them at the ready because this is a casual conversation, but you know, I feel like mental, mental health is obviously an issue that most, not, I, I don't know. I don't want to get into numbers again, but a lot of people deal with, right. And it may, it may be, it may be one of those things that it's a little more subtle, right? When you have a good paying job and you can afford a home and you're happy for the most part and you have a significant other, but it gets exasperated once you face other significant challenges, like for instance, homelessness, or you're dealing with alcoholism or drug addiction or whatever. And those things have always been there, but they've been lying low. And once you face challenges, they become much more prominent in your life, right? And so, like you said, like maybe they were dealing with it before homelessness. Maybe it became apparent after, but it was probably always there. It just wasn't quite as apparent as it is when you don't have a place to live, right? You don't have a job. Right. Exactly. How do we, how do we, how do you, I mean, yeah. I, I can't speak to the work you do, but there's no silver bullet that solves all problems, but you know, what's, what, what are the first couple of steps to solving that? You know, at least as, as far as like a normal person well, like me goes, I don't, I, I do volunteer sometime right uh, in my community. And I, I do try to help homeless people as much as I can, but I also have a job and I want to start a family. So I have other, you know, responsibilities in my life, but what are the steps that we should take honestly to, to, to start to solve this problem? How does that look? That is a great question. And I wish I had the answer. Um, I can tell you what steps I've taken. Um, we have uh, a free pop-up. Like we find a place, like there's a place in Enid that serves a meal Monday through Friday. And they serve about two to 400 people a meal every day. So what we started doing was we'd gather up clothes like, you know, just have our friends and family clean out their closet. And we would gather up clothes. We'd take some tables and we gave everything away free. So we started uh, just just to become friends and we talked to them and uh, they gained our trust. And then at Christmas, our first Christmas, we got somebody to donate hats and gloves to every homeless person we can find or person that needed it. I mean, some of the people that go get a meal are not homeless, but we gave gloves and hats out to everyone. Um, it's part of it is just open your eyes and seeing the homeless, you know, going and walking yeah. down, uh, you know, 
the homeless in our town are in the parks, at the library, um, yep. and where they feed people. Um, yep. So it's really the first step is opening your eyes and seeing it. I agree. I mean, that, that's for that's for most people, right? A lot of people are just ignorant to the fact, you know, and if it's sight unseen, you know, life is a little bit easier not having to deal with those problems if you don't have to face them, you know, on a daily basis. Right. But I mean, it's a fantastic right. thing that, you know, you guys are doing. Obviously, there's never going to be enough help for people who are, you know, in uh, less than fortunate circumstances. Right. But but. I mean, as far as like, do you guys do anything as far as like helping build skills as far as like, you know, employment and things like that? I mean, we're just, we just started, we just opened. So the first thing that we wanted to do was connect, uh, give access to their benefits. So we help file for medical, Medicaid expansion, which helps them with medical. Uh, We help them for food stamps and if they qualify for social security. So we're taking care of like the, the essentials, you know, if you think of Miles Snow's Law, the bottom part, right. safety, water, food, you know, those the things, bare minimum, the bare, the bare minimum. minimum. <laughs> yeah. Once we get that taken care of, and then we go to the next level, which would be we have um, resources for jobs. We keep a job board, and if they ask about being a job, getting a job, or uh, getting clothes for a job, or uh, they maybe they've had a felony and they don't know how they can apply for a job. We have books and resources for that that says, you know, how do you get a job if you get a felon? Um, so we have resources for that. And we have a clothing room where um, they can get some shoes and some clothes uh, for a job. Uh, we also have um, – a food pantry where if they needed some food, uh, we could give them food. We also have been um, buying, like, we had a guy just get a job, and we bought him um, some shoes and a new shirt for his job. Uh, he had to have special shoes, so we bought him shoes. So, And once they have a community that they can talk to, you just see their eyes open up wide. Like somebody actually cares about me and cares if I'm okay, you know, cause we check on them. We like, you know, we go to the park and we have a hydration day where we just take uh, Gatorade to the park and we just sit around and talk to them and say, you know, Hey, how are you doing? And they're so like, you actually give a shit. I mean, they really yeah. look at us. Yeah. Like, that, that's their reaction all the time. Like really, every time yeah. you, you really, you really care about me or, you know, like this one girl, she really likes to read. So we always throw a couple of books that we've gotten, you know, at a thrift store or something. We always throw those in the car. And every time I see her, I give her a book and she's like, I can't, I, I can't believe you remembered that I love to read. So, you know, it's just doing little things. Uh, we never started we never started thinking about having a nonprofit or doing a resource center. It just, it just became, um, I, 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 there's been just a lot of things that just fell into place, people donating money and, um, getting us the things that we needed. And this, this week we were blessed with, um, somebody donated a, 
trailer that has a bathroom and a shower where you can take to a park. It was a $35,000 gift and they gifted it to us wow. to help the homeless. It's amazing. So yeah. that they can take a shower. And you just don't understand if you haven't taken a shower in two weeks, how it would feel just to sit under a warm shower and take I, a shower. I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't so imagine, it, honestly. It was, it, it was just, you know, a gift that somebody thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, buck up. I'm going to give some of my resources and uh, we haven't received it yet, but we got, we got um, notification that we're getting it. So it's really cool. But we never, we never uh, started out. We never started out thinking we were going to do a nonprofit and be in this business. I'm retired. Right. I'm retired. So it's, you know, we work at it about 25 to 30 hours a week. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, that's the sign of a true and uh, well-meaning nonprofit is that they never intended to form an organization so as much as they tried to, you know, make an impact in their community, right? That's the goal. But my next question would be, is somebody who does want to make a difference in their community, right? I, I mean, I do. I do volunteer sometime. I wish it could be more, you know, but whatever it is. How do you know that if if, if you're going to make a donation, you know, financially to a nonprofit, are there any ways to like, you know, I guess uh, do some research and make sure that, you know, your money is being well spent? Because there are some nonprofits that, you know, enter, enter their, uh, I guess, it's almost a business aspect of it, you know, with a financial bottom line, you know, being the main priority and helping people being second. Are there any resources that I can like turn to, to like find out whether or not I'm donating my time and or money to something that's actually worthy? Well, Brian, that, that is a great, great question. Uh, and I applaud you for asking that. Um, I would first say go to, I think it's guide star or gold star. It's, it has all the nonprofit charities and ask if, one of the things that I would ask before I donated, uh, how much, how much of the, how much of your donation actually goes to the cause? How much is administration fees? Like is the it fee, is, it is guide star, by the way, it is okay, guide star. Guide, I just okay. looked it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would ask how much goes to the actual need because a lot of them have, um, directors that make a hundred thousand dollars a year. You know? or, or, more, so, or more, so, <laughs> or more, or more. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. our, our resources, none of our staff are paid. We all decided wow. when we started this nonprofit that we were going to donate our time as part of the life we live and the moral code we live by. So we none of us get paid. All of it goes a hundred percent goes back into uh, feeding the homeless, clothing the homeless, making sure they're getting their resources. Not one of our people are paid. Well, that's really cool because I mean, the the bigger organizations that I've done you know minimal research into, I've seen quite a few where you know it's like. More than 70 or 75% goes towards paying salaries and wages for people who are quote unquote volunteering. And then it's, you know, less than 10% at the end of the day going to actually helping people, you know, 
that are in need, which is really unfortunate. It is. Because, yes. because most people aren't donating, you know, a fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars trailer, you know, that's actually useful to an organization. They're donating ten dollars. And for one dollar of that to go to like an actual person who's, you know, fighting homelessness and trying to improve their life, it's it's really sad, honestly. And it and for like the average person who's not involved, who's not in touch, who's not, you know, they don't have hands on the scenario. They don't they're not actually talking to homeless people. They're just gonna make a a small financial contribution. They're dissuaded from further, you know, future, you know, donations because it's uh, they see those statistics and it's like, all right, I'm really not making a difference. I'd rather not try than put the time and effort into investigating it. And if you all want to look look us up, we're on Facebook, Enid Street Outreach Services, and we have Amazon Smile. So you could, you know, all your Amazon purchases, we can get 2% of that back if you want to sign up for it. It's on our Facebook page, and we also have a. So web- the Trojan specialty. <laughs> Sorry. Um, our website. Our website. That was just an interjection from the Chargers specialty. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Sorry. Our website. Our website is enidsos.org. Um, so you can uh, look us up on Facebook, and we also have uh, this. Maybe a podcast. Um, it's our podcast is on Anchor, and it's being homeless is complicated. If you want to look it up, so we have about four or five podcasts. Uh, we haven't interviewed anybody homeless yet. We're just we're just we're talking to them about it and seeing who feels like you know they want to put their story out there. Uh, but we have. Right, you gotta gotta get a good storyteller. Maybe get someone who has like some some theories about life and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It's a difficult thing to do because a lot of homeless people would rather not bear that extra burden of exactly. uh, embarrassing exactly. themselves. At least that's how they feel, anyway. Even if that's not true, yeah. they feel that it's it's shameful. You know, it's unfortunate, but yeah, it's a good point. It is. I mean, we have a guy that. Uh, he's a good-looking guy. He always keeps himself fresh and stuff. And he he says, you know, when I take my backpack around, he said, I feel like people are just staring at me, and they they're I'm I'm ashamed of having this backpack and all my possessions on my back. He said, you know, people look at me funny. They address me differently. He said, if I take my backpack off and I leave it somewhere, you know, at the Salvation Army at the shelter or something like that. And I walk around, people treat me different. And I I know they do because I've seen it. That's crazy because, I mean, if you have a shelter that's willing to, you know, take care of your things while you're gone, that's fantastic. But, like, how many homeless people are out there who have to leave their backpack behind, you know, a building, right? Just so they're not treated like a subclass citizen, you know, while they go into a uh, – a Starbucks or a McDonald's and try to get free Wi-Fi to apply for jobs and, you know, like a $1 burger and like a water cup, you know, like they're risking all of their worldly possessions in a backpack behind a building because they're going to be treated like a subclass citizen just to, you know, accomplish a basic, you know, human function, applying for a job. It's sad. That is so true. That is so true. That's exactly what they do. And, I was uh, I was holding a comment from way earlier about about mental illness. Uh-huh. Uh, before before I lose it, I'd just like to interject it. 
and this is something I learned in a psychology lecture, but the nature of, of mental illness is that it cannibalizes the true self. You know, the longer one is mentally ill, the more their actual self is, is consumed by the illness. And our true selves is our source of self-esteem. In this case, ego is not a bad word. Ego is a very good word. Having an ego in, a, in, in, in the good sense means I'm worth a job, means I can show up and like put my life together. So I think that that's probably one of the most pernicious elements of homelessness and mental illness is that it, it cannibalizes the very thing that's needed to hit, hit reverse. Yes, I definitely feel that, you know, um, when you don't have a job there, there's something, even when you, when you're taught, when you're, when you're, um, just a regular person and you go out somewhere and what's the first thing somebody asks you, where do you work? What do you, what do? you do? What do you do? That's <laughs> your self-worth. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that is your self-worth. It's tied to a lot of things, your self-esteem, your, your worthiness. And like somebody said, I don't remember who said it, but if you are putting your, your, you know, you're paying taxes. You're you're a worthy person, but if you're not contributing to the economy, you're not worthy. It's a very American thing. It really is. In Europe, people when they get to meet each other, they don't ask them what they do. In America, it's very much tied to your self worth. What do you do? How well do you do it? How much money do you make? And that's a status symbol of how, uh, you know how effective you are in society, how much do you contribute, how important are you? It's, it's pretty sad. It really is sad. And that just takes an already, you know, problematic situation of being homeless and it, uh, you know, exasperates it. It makes it even worse because if you're not contributing in the societal sense, then you're, you're more than just worthless, you know? You're a leech on society. Mm. Mm. And it makes it difficult to even make friends and I mean, obviously, if you're having mental health issues, right, you're suffering from that. Mm-hmm. Therapy is the best way to go, right. in my experience. But if you can't afford therapy, because a lot of people can't, the next best thing is having friends and, and trusted people you can talk to and you can be open with. And if those people aren't going to value your self-worth because you don't contribute to society in an American way, you don't even have like the knockoff version of therapy. You know what I mean? It's even worse. It's pretty tough. The knockoff version of therapy. For <laughs> the knockoff version of therapy is having friends that you can be honest with. It really is. Honestly, you know? you're right. You're freaking right, Brian. Friendship is, is priceless. People who would just listen to what you have to say and whether or not they can give constructive feedback or constructive you know, criticism – if they can at least hear you out and you feel comfortable talking to them, that's worth a hell of a lot more than having no friends who don't value you. And, uh, you know, it, it just comes back on you. Ultimately, you're harder on yourself. I think out of every homeless person mm. I've ever met, they've been harder on themselves than anybody I've ever met. They really have. They know they're, they know they're in a bad situation. Not always, but sometimes, you know, it's because of their own decisions which is unfortunate, 
but that's not like, you know, a determining factor for the rest of the life. Yet it's a negative feedback cycle, right? It's a loop and they can't get out of it because it's hard to make friends. It's hard to find people you can talk to. You can't afford therapy and you don't have an outlet for your anger, your aggression, for, you know, the trauma you've experienced in life. And it's almost impossible to break out of. You know what, like, what, what, like, this is just a side note, but one of the things that I'm taking away from this conversation, because what you just said, Brian, connects to an earlier point Cynthia made about how amazed the homeless, like homeless people, un- unhoused people are uh, when you actually listen. It's just what a freaking act of like life affirmation it is to really buckle down and listen. Shut your brain off and listen. Be aware and listen. Pay attention. Um, I'm going to try to do better with that. Yeah. You know what? I mean, this might be a uh, a young person, you know, perspective here. But I think attention, people's, the average human being's attention to any one subject is uh, at an all-time high. It's very expensive to hold one's attention for a long time. And uh, trying to talk to somebody and be open and honest with them and not having them judge you, having them sit there and listen to your story and, you know, affirm them, listen to them, hear them out and not be judgmental is uh, very hard to come by. And I don't know if you all heard earlier, I was talking about pets. You know, that's one of the things that they um, probably about, I'd say 40 percent of the homeless I know have a pet a dog and because they're loyal and they're non-judgmental, <laughs> just exactly what you were talking about. And this yeah. is part of their security, their comfort. Um, it helps them with routine and feeding and watering their dog. And they love the dog. And to me, um, it's, they're less of a threat if they have an animal. And I don't know if they know that, but interesting. I, I think it's a, it is, a subconscious thing. Yeah, you know? I mean, they realize it, it but they don't know it. I don't think they know it, but it is because people yeah. will say hi to the dog or say, "Oh, you have a nice dog. Your dog's so well taken care of." And then they'll look up and they'll say hi to somebody that's homeless. Now, if a guy is walking down the street and he doesn't have a dog and he has a backpack, they're less likely to talk to them. Right, because the average person is willing to think that, well, if this guy's homeless, it's because he made bad decisions. He's probably addicted to drugs, right? He's not worth, like, my time. But if he has an animal with him, like, the animal didn't choose that, so it's worth my time. I'll throw a dollar or two towards him. But at the the same, you know, with that same token... Um, I've, I have met a few homeless people who, you know, when they have a pet, they have a dog, they have a sense of responsibility Yeah. and, and, and suicide among the homeless is pretty high, unfortunately. But if they have somebody or something that relies on them to survive, they have another motive, you know, to like provide for something else besides themselves. Even if their self-esteem is low and they don't think very highly of themselves and they don't care if they live or die. If they have a dog or, you know, whatever pet that relies on them, like there's an extra level of motivation to continue on, right? Because it's not just about them. It's uh, it's pretty honorable, honestly. I love animals, so 
And I have seen, um, I've actually, we, we were handing out sandwiches at the park one time and I actually seen a guy, I mean, he was pretty downtrodden. I had, I didn't know him. He's from, um, another County and he had just walked here and he took half of his sandwich and fed it to his, to his dog. So they will sacrifice eating themselves for the animal that they love. Now that's, that's not, that's not people that, those are people that have, I mean, we talked about this earlier that you can see Christ in. I mean, these people actually care about other things. They're not the people that so many stereotypes have been out there. You know, they're just, they're just alcoholics and drug addicts and they don't, you know, they're worthless. So it's, that is, is just not true. I mean, and we were talking about this earlier. If I was on the street and say I already had a tendency to be depressed or something, and somehow I got homeless, well, yeah, sure, my mental health is going to be a lot worse, and I'm not going to be as friendly, probably. I'm going to be grumpy. And, you know, I'm going to go to whatever's cheapest to numb these feelings. I challenge anybody to spend a week on the street and not do any kind of don't smoke pot, don't drink. Uh, oh, come on, Cynthia. I'm, I'm, I'm banging whatever they got. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you. It's no, I'm it's no have, doubt, Cynthia. If somebody, if somebody gives if – I'm, if I'm on the street and somebody says, hey, you want some of this – this whiskey I got, I'm sharing it because I want to know myself. Too. <laughs> I, I promise you. I, and no, people ask, I why, why are they, why do they have substance abuse issues? I said, you know, have you spent, you, you have, you spent yeah, have you spent a month on the street? Next time you spend a month on the <laughs> street, right. you find not out even a month, not even a month. If um, I just sleep on the street wait, for a day or two, yeah, ahead, if I just sleep on the street for a day or two and you offered me any sort of escapism, whether it be a YouTube video or a movie or drugs or alcohol, <laughs> I'm going to take it up. I'm gonna, there's no doubt. I'm going to try to escape that reality yeah. by any means. Why wouldn't um, the right? The, the, the way you used uh, the word Christ and like invoking the meaning of Christ there, Cynthia, it kind of sparked something in me. Um, Cause I've been looking into kind of hermetic interpretations of Christian symbolism and ways we can understand the Christian message in a more like, you know, kind of wider esoteric context. And the way you used Christ there was basically to say infinite good. When I see Christ in someone, I see infinite good. Right? Yeah. I see I see I see infinite potentiality for 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 love, kindness, and meaning, you know, and purpose. I see infinite good. Um I really I might have to write that down. I like that. I like that definition of Christ. Because people say Christ this, Christ that. But I think it, 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 it's something we ought to do more, just tie these Christian ideas, which whether you're Christian or not, it doesn't matter. These are embedded in right. Americanism, especially right. in the Midwest where I am and the South where you are. Like these are like this is this is this is what Christ is. It is infinite potentiality for good. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it reminds me just just what you're talking about. You know, when Christ rode in on Palm Sunday. He didn't ride in on a big white horse. If you read the text, he asked them to borrow a colt. And a colt is something that has never been ridden before. So he borrowed 
stole a colt to ride in to Jerusalem. He could have rode in on a chariot. I mean, he's he's Jesus. He could have he could have poof and there was a chariot with fire or something. But no, he rode in on a borrowed colt. So Jesus Christ, the Christ, is what should be in all of us. That infinite love that we are loved and that we should love everyone. I think you both are forgetting in the South, Jesus was a white businessman in a capitalist society. Clearly. Don't rain on our parades, Brian. <laughs> We're making some new new path for the South. This is the new guys, path. Guys, did, did Jesus that... was basically Jeff Bezos 2,000 years ago. You're oh, just refusing God. to acknowledge it. Cynthia, <laughs> Cynthia, Brian is like some kind of trickster character from like Pueblo <laughs> mythology. He's always just going to come in and like, you know, spike your punch. That's his job. So did, well, did he spike- have, Brian, did he have a red hat on? He was definitely offering a minimum wage. I can promise you that. He <laughs> was he providing a, opportunity. Did he have a red hat on that said, make America great again? <laughs> he wore it backwards too, because he was cool. Because he was cool. You guys just don't understand as fake Christians. You don't get it. It's okay. <laughs> well, I start, I'm sorry. I get kind of preachy when uh, I start talking about this because it, it just really means a lot to me. And this is, you know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not here for a shallow time. Cynthia. You could, you can, you can talk that real whenever we'll, we'll, we'll rock. <laughs> disagree, disagree. Cynthia, I'm here for you to tell me that you turned good white folk from homeless into successful businessmen. And if you're gonna if you're if you're gonna try to tell me about homosexual colored folk, I'm out. I'm not gonna listen to it. Colored colored folk. Wow. Colored folk. Oh what a what a what a phrase. Oh well I sure enjoyed the conversation tonight. You guys are um scatty and brian you're you're yeah i mean it was real easy to talk to you this is the first time i've ever done a green room so it's been really a success for me i felt like you know i no honestly i'm glad you're here glad you're here there is not enough people there's not enough people discussing these types of uh issues and topics honestly in green room it's a lot it's it's an honor to be your first follower sorry to interrupt brian (laughs) Wow, Scatty, first follower. Okay. Had to flex. Well, it's been really interesting, and I appreciate you all. Um, it's I, I, I love deep conversations, and uh, you all have uh, tested me and <laughs> agreed with me and disagreed with me. So I, I really think, you know, I don't know where Scotty, you didn't say where you were from. You said the Midwest. I was, I was, I was actually born in uh, Plano, but I spent most of my life and currently am. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's no good. That's what he said. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun. Hey, I'm I'm, 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 I'm a Texas boy. It's on the birth certificate. I got a big flag with one star on it. Well, I do appreciate the conversations and um, I might add this to a podcast. So if you all aren't following me on uh, being homeless is complicated on anchor, uh, give me a shout or 
like it or something. I Will appreciate do. it. And go see our um, Facebook page, Enid Street Outreach Services, and you can follow us on there and see how we I'll look it up. Next time you're on Green Room, though, please invite your followers. We welcome okay. back. All right. Invite I'll them. Do that. Hey, you all take it easy and uh, signing off for now. Thanks right, for the combo. Have a good night. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Being Homeless is Complicated, where we try to talk about awareness and education of those experiencing homelessness.